0: Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro.
1: This episode of the Yankees Magazine Podcast is brought to you by the MLB app. Yankees baseball is always live with the MLB app. Follow the action with game tracking and video highlights along with up-to-the-moment stats, standings, breaking news, and more. Download the MLB app today. It's your number one app for Yankees baseball. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of the Yankees Magazine podcast. I'm John Schwartz. I'm the deputy editor for Yankees Magazine. Joining me in a little bit, we're going to have our editor-in-chief, Al Sanceri, to talk about the 2021 MLB draft and also some drafts from past Yankees history. But before we could do that, let's talk about another way that the Yankees just kind of built up some new guys on the team with MLB.com's I don't know what to call you—trade deadline aficionado, trade deadline guru. What, what, what's your preferred title here?
2: Uh, executive reporter is my actual title,
1: but I like trade guru.
2: If that's the way that sounds, I may have to put that on my business cards.
1: Executive reporter slash guru, Mark Feinstein. How you doing, Mark? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I, you seem calm. You seem you seem rested. I, I, I obviously, we've had a couple of days since the trade deadline. Otherwise, I would imagine you did not look like this. Maybe on Thursday afternoon
2: yeah august uh when the calendar turns to august i look about 10 years younger it's uh, it's a nice thing july is a rough month and uh uh certainly last friday on the deadline day was a uh, pretty i looked probably looked pretty frazzled which was a problem since i was doing mlb network uh the trade deadline show there, so I had to try to keep myself together. But yes, I've had a couple of days of sleep, and uh, and I'm in a much much better frame of mind right now.
1: You know, it reminds me when Peter Gammons was inducted into the Hall of Fame on July 31st. It was on <laughs> trade deadline day, and obviously this is pre Twitter for the most part, everything like that. So we didn't have as much to worry about. But you know, putting you guys on TV while you're doing that, I imagine every single time. Uh, Camera 3 is on. And camera 2 is your camera, let's say. You're right back onto the 3 to 4 to 5 cell phones that you have working.
2: Yeah. Fortunately, they they come to us. They give us you about a 30-second warning before they're going to come to you. So uh, it's not like I'm sitting there on a phone call or texting somebody and not realizing that the camera's on me. So uh, I think I only got caught once the entire show, not looking at the camera while it was actually on me. And I had a producer in my ear going, Look up! So... You know, you get used to those things. And
1: I think that if I'm not mistaken, and correct me if I am, unlike uh, ESPN.com's Jeff Passon, you did not end up with any impersonators. Uh, breaking Trade News. <laughs> uh,
2: not only did I not end up with any impersonators, but I didn't fall for the Jeff Passon impersonator. So uh, I was very proud of myself for that. I saw that go out. I saw somebody else retweet it that the Yankees had acquired Chris Bryant. And I was like, wait, how did I not hear that? Doesn't this? really make sense? And, uh, Right, it didn't really make sense, and I hadn't heard anything about it, and I was like, "Wow, did I just whiff big time?" And as it turns out, I did not.
1: Well, good work. That's a good badge of honor to be uh, discerning about what you retweet. There, I, you know, be, be, before we get to some of uh, the craft, I guess, and and how you go about handling those few weeks, you know, when you look at we're a couple of days past the deadline now, it's very easy to say Anthony Rizzo is the greatest pickup ever, or whatever you might want to do at this point. I mean, that, that's not realistic. When you look at simply the roster that the Yankees are rolling out now, compared to where they were on, say, July 29, how do you assess kind
2: of that adjustment, development, and evolution? Well, I thought the Yankees had a really good team to begin with. I think they've been the victims of underperformance by a couple of their key guys this year. You know, I, I look at the year LeMay is having compared to what he's done the past two years. I look at the year Gilberto Torres is having compared to what he did for the last two or three years, uh, and it's hard when. You are going to bat every night with a couple of guys who are not performing the way that, that you're accustomed to seeing them perform. Then you factor in the Aaron Hicks injury and a couple of you – know, Luke Voigt has been out for a good portion of the year. Uh, this lineup has not been healthy slash productive outside of a couple of guys. That said, we've all known that they're, they've been too right-handed. It's been well-documented by anybody who's watched them. Uh, I didn't think that it was going to be something that would stop them from winning because they were 2 right-handed last year. They were 2 right-handed the year before, and they made the playoffs in both those years.
1: And that's actually something that I find interesting. And, and I guess I, I haven't asked yet of either Cashman or Boone because I'm not really sure the right way to ask this. But the fact of the matter is you're on these press conferences in the same way I am. I mean, or different ones. But, but you know you know what manager speak is and you know what GM speak is. And we've spent since the beginning of spring training, really, or really since the winter meetings, if you want to say so, saying, "Man, yeah, that's an awfully right-handed, you know, roster." And the answers that you get is like, "No, this is a balanced roster. These guys hit the other way. These guys are fun. these guys can hit pitches like that. You know, this team's fine, what have you." And I would say up until like a week before the deadline, you're still hearing like, "We don't worry about the righty lefty thing." That's not. And then of course they go out and what's their obvious priority at the deadline? It's to get more left-handed heroes in there. And I wonder if part of that is just look, you need to be accustomed to both a rosy spin that you're going to get on things and that sometimes the market is what it is. And maybe we don't know exactly what Brian Cashman was doing in the room there. Maybe he went in there saying, like slamming his hand on the desk and saying, we're getting left-handed hitters or else. Maybe those are just the guys who came to him. But I, I do kind of wonder, I mean, what do you read in from the fact that those are the moves that were made?
2: Well, I mean, I think it was obvious that they were looking for a left-handed batter too uh, with some pop to come in and help this team. But I understand why Brian and why Aaron say the things they say. Because if you can't get that left-handed bat, and then the trade deadline passes, well, and you're out. still, well, <laughs> we didn't get the lefty bat, so uh, I guess we're finished. So I think when you look at what they did, they were obvious moves. But at the same time, had they not gotten those guys, I think they still could have gone to war with what they had.
1: It is really funny when you think about it. I mean, all the armchair GMs out there, You know, we could have put Joey Gallo on this roster for a long time. I mean, when do you start thinking about a name like Anthony Rizzo being one of the guys coming in here? I mean,
2: we knew he was on the block, right? We think that the Red Sox were a team that was going to be, you know, everybody said that's the natural fit, that's the natural fit. Um, But, you know, the Yankees went out and got him, and the Red Sox didn't. And so not only did you add a big lefty bat at first base, but you kept him away from your rivals who certainly needed him as much as anybody. So, you know, I think it was a great trade for the Yankees. And obviously, Rizzo's gotten off to a fantastic start. Uh, and that's, you know, that's been a, a nice thing for, for Cashman and for Putin and for the Yankees. But, you know, when, when the move happened, you're like, well, I mean, it totally makes sense. Uh, and so, you know, go get a guy who's been a proven playoff performer. He knows about winning. He's been to the playoffs a bunch of times. And so it's, it's a good fit.
1: So looking, looking past this actual roster then here. What is your day-to-day like between, I don't know, let's say July 23rd to July 31st?
2: Well, it's a lot earlier than July 23rd. That's a fair point. I, mean, That's I, a fair I start writing trade deadline stuff in May because you know teams get off to a bad start. I was writing about the Twins in May as being a potential seller. And here's what they're going to have to sell. And here's the path that if they don't turn things around, you always have to qualify them with things like that because teams can go on a hot streak and, and things can change. So you know I'm looking at it from a 10,000-foot view of the whole league. And you're sort of monitoring like, okay, how could this deadline shape up? What what teams are we going to be looking at? Three weeks before the trade deadline, the Cubs were in first place. And we thought that they were going to be a buyer. And then all of a sudden, an 11-game losing streak, and they dismantled the entire club. So uh, things change very quickly in this game. And, uh, and so I'm, I'm sort of going day-to-day watching that, talking to executives, talking to agents, talking to players, um, just to get a feel for where teams are. And as things progress, and as you start seeing... Uh, races shape up a little bit. Uh, you start to figure out you know, who's going to be buying, who's going to be selling. And in the case of some teams, you get to July 31st, or in this case, July 30th, and you still don't know. I mean, there are teams out there that, that on deadline day, you're like, I don't know if this team is buying or selling. And at that point, you just sort of have to work the phones and sit back and wait for something to happen.
1: I always do wonder a little bit because I very much understand the... And eh, God, this is, <laughs> is going to sound uh, obnoxious. I don't mean it that way. I do understand the 30,000-foot view of a lot of what's happening with the trade-off. When it comes to those actual moments, though, uh, of you know, who's going to announce this one first, to your mind, what is the virtue of, of being the guy who breaks it? What do you feel like you or MLB.com is pushing for in
2: that moment? Well, you know, I think when you look at it, big picture, it doesn't matter. Right, Jeff Passan breaks a trade. John Heyman breaks a trade. Joel Sherman, myself, the team's going to send out whoever it may be some at some point. They're going to send our press release, and within three minutes of whoever breaks the trade, we're all going to have it confirmed, or most of us are going right. to have it confirmed. And so you don't really worry about it. The, the virtue of breaking it is a, it shows that you've got sources and connections, and you're you're a good reporter. And b, you know, it drives people to to your Twitter feed. It drives traffic to our website. In our case, or or to a newspaper. In a newspaper's case. Um, and it just, you know, the more that you break, the more news you deliver, the more people trust you and the more people follow you. And, uh, you know, it helps both you and your entity.
1: Have you ever considered wearing just like a blood pressure monitor the entire time of uh, the month of July and see where you spike and anything like that? That would be way too scary. <laughs> what, uh, so, so you, you, you reached, uh, you know, let's say 1 PM on deadline day. How much do you know about the landscape and how it's going to shape out over the next three hours at that point? Or are you just really just waiting for the stuff to come in?
2: I mean, you have some educated guesses of where things are going to go. You've certainly been talking to people throughout the process to know, have an idea of what different teams are thinking, what they're looking for, what a seller is looking for. I mean, I went into deadline day putting it at probably a little less than 50-50 that Trevor Story was going to be traded. And it seemed like an absurd thing to say that the Rockies weren't going to move him. But I knew that the offers that have been coming in weren't good. He's not having a great year. And, and other teams were looking at it like, maybe we can steal this guy on the cheap. The Rockies have to trade him. So all you have to do is be the best offer that's there, not the best offer that they're looking for. Well, the Rockies took a different approach. Their interim GM, Bill Schmidt, as we're running the Rockies draft for 20 years plus. He's looking at it as we make this guy qualifying offer. He goes and signs somewhere else. We're gonna get a pick right after the first round as a compensation pick. That's like the 32nd, 33rd pick in the draft. So basically the bar became our team's offering something that we feel is going to be better than the 32nd or 33rd pick in the draft. And it turned out the answer was no. You know, you sort of read the tea leaves based on on the reporting you've done, but sometimes things surprise you. And, you know, I I didn't see the Giants getting Chris Bryant. That one caught me by surprise, even though we knew they were looking, but that matchup didn't really seem to come together until that day.
1: Now, I'm not asking how often you're wrong, because that's a stupid question. I mean, I mean, how often do you think that you have in your head, from your sources, from whatever, a pretty solid sense of something that turns out that not only did not end up happening, but that. You know, if you ask one of the two GMs involved
2: in that, they would say that conversation never even happened. like that. I don't think I hit that point very often. Mm-hmm. Um, there are things that I think are going to happen that don't happen. Sure. Uh, and that's, that's just the nature of negotiations, right? Where two teams appear to be on track t- to, to reaching a deal on something and something jumps in and, and changes things. I mean, we all thought that Max Schroeser was going to the Padres right. until he didn't, uh, until the Dodgers came in and, the nature of these things is that they change. And so you could feel really good about what's about to happen. But until it's actually announced, you you know you, you just don't know for sure. How do you avoid being part of the negotiation,
1: being part of the deal in a sense, knowing that you're probably talking to both sides and they know that you're talking to both sides and they know... like How do you avoid... I don't want to say being used, but being
2: just a part of the process of the trade going down? I think that's where trust comes in. Mm-hmm. You know, you, if you if you have a relationship with somebody at a team uh, in free agency with an agent, you have your experiences with that person, and, and how many times have they told you something that turned out to be nonsense? And when somebody tells you something that turns out to be nonsense, you might not trust that person's word as being as good as it may have been before. So, I think the people who I deal with on a regular basis. Are people that I trust, people that I speak to, not just to call and say, "Hey, you know what's going on with this trade," but call just to talk baseball with, and and you develop a rapport with certain people, and so it just comes down to trust and trusting your sources that that they're not trying to play you to help their cause, and you know that they're just telling you facts, and and you report facts, and if your facts turn out to be wrong, then you're going to question those facts the next time that guy tells you that.
1: But then, why do they talk to you? I've, I'm always so fascinated.
2: Why on earth?
1: Do they talk to you? Other than I guess they feel like they probably need to try to mine the information as much as possible. So the more that's maybe out there, is that useful to them? Why do you think these guys are talking to
2: you? Because I'm so darn likable.
1: You are you are charming. You are
2: delightful. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's. I think it is in part when stuff does get out there, they can read how the fan base is reacting. (laughs) They can read, uh, you know, how other teams might be reacting. The team that's selling a player certainly wants stuff out there because they want other teams to know kind of which, you know, if, if the Cubs are out there and, and they put something out, and nobody ever says it's from the Cubs. But if it's out there that the Red Sox are a team that's interested in Anthony Rizzo, that could pique the Yankees' interest and say, huh, maybe we can get Anthony Rizzo. In uh, free agency, agents want as many teams as possible involved.
1: More than 30. They want a mystery right, team too. Right, exactly. <laughs> they want
2: 30 plus the mystery team. So, um, look, everybody has an agenda. That's obvious. Uh, the the challenge for me and for those in my profession is to try to see through the agenda and not report things that you don't believe are necessarily true.
1: So, I mean, we, we spoke before we started recording. This is your first time you said here at Yankee Stadium reporting on a game since the 2019 playoffs. As you reported very well over the last week, there have been some changes to the Yankees roster since that time. As you move into this part of the calendar now, I mean, are you just excited to write about baseball tonight and not to write about, you know, conversations between a bunch of people in windowless offices?
2: I am. I am. It's been a lot. I mean, I, I did cover a game at City Field last month. I covered the Cubs for a night. Um, our beat writer wasn't there. So I, I stepped in there and it was, it was really refreshing to watch <laughs> a baseball game and keep score and ask baseball related questions afterwards. Uh, you know, I did cover the Yankees for 16 years. So I know that even though I'm here covering the beat... That doesn't always mean you're going to be asking baseball-related questions. Um, things, <laughs> Why, is, so, is something else going on in the world right now, Mark? Things, things come up. I'm not even just talking COVID. I, you know, sometimes it could be something that happens in a game. It could be... Uh, who knows? I mean, th- that, that's the, that was always the beauty of covering the Yankees is that something always happened. It was never boring. And I would imagine that that's still the case.
1: Awesome. Uh, obviously, look, we are into August now. We are into your you know, month of Jubilee, perhaps. Uh, July is done. Kids are almost back from sleepaway camp. I mean, you know, summer of Mark might be ending a little bit. Uh, wh- what's your plan for the next couple of weeks as you uh, ent- re-enter society?
2: Uh, I'm actually going to be covering a whole bunch of games uh, <laughs> for for writers. I'll be at Yankee Stadium and City Field and Citizens Bank Park down in Philly, uh, so I'll be doing some of that. Working on another book project that's going to take up most of the rest of my time. And uh, and then all of a sudden, the calendar is going to hit September 1st, and it's going to be, all right, let's write uh, 20 or 30,000 words on free agency previews. So we go from trade deadline into a, a month where I'll just be watching baseball and covering baseball, and then my mind turns immediately to free agency basically come Labor Day.
1: are the closest thing we have to an
2: NFL writer. I love it.
1: What uh, Are we got to talk about this book yet, or is that still uh, under wraps?
2: Uh, we'll keep it under wraps.
1: For keep now. it under wraps. So you'll uh, come back on and talk to us about it at some absolutely. point?
2: Absolutely. I'm going to want to publicize it, so you know I will.
1: Awesome. Well, we, uh, we always love talking to you. We love talking to uh, your... First, while co-writer Brian Hoke as well, but uh, Mark always good. Thanks so much. You know, he wrote a
2: book without me last year, so I got I got to write one without him now, just to even it up. That's just impolite. I feel. <laughs> I agree. I thought you know this was the Bronx Zoom. He did it all from his house. I could have certainly gotten on with the Zooms as well. So yeah, Brian and I have a little little issues to work out, but we'll uh, we'll get through it. I'm
1: going to write the book about the divorce between Mark Feinstein and Brian <laughs> Hoke. It's going to it's going to be huge. Mark, thank you so much. As always, we uh, we love having you here. We can't wait to have you back soon.
2: Thanks, John. Appreciate it.
1: We are going to take a quick break. When we come back, like I said, we're going to be talking with our editor-in-chief, Al Santasiri, about the MLB draft, so stick with us.
3: Hi, this is Aaron Judge. You're listening
2: to the Yankees Magazine Podcast.
1: This episode is also brought to you by MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market regular season game live or on demand with MLB.tv. Your subscription also includes the MLB app Premium, allowing you to stream live baseball with your favorite supported devices. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Visit MLB.tv for details. Welcome back to the Yankees Magazine podcast. As promised, now we are joined by our editor-in-chief, Al Sanasiri. How's it going, Al?
3: It's going well, thank you.
1: Yeah, you know it's uh it's always super hard to uh, focus on baseball this time of year because all I'm doing is watching the Olympics. We're talking about the Olympics. <laughs> We're staying up too late to watch the Olympics. It's in the wrong country right now, which makes it even harder. I don't know. Have you? Uh, are you getting over your Olympic
3: fever? How does it? Has it worked? I've just enjoyed it a lot. It's been, it, you know, it's something I missed last year. It's really neat to to be able to kind of uh, f- you know flip the channels from the Yankees who are playing well to the Olympic Games, and you know every one of those is so exciting. I'm I'm so into. Swimming, track, and some of the other ones. Uh, so it's it's been it's been thrilling. And you know, r- regardless of which of the two channels you got on these days,
1: two channels, it's like sixteen channels plus streams and everything <laughs> like that. I, I will tell you, as much as I love every second of watching way too much of this, I cannot wait until next weekend or next week when I can go to sleep, perhaps at a regular time. Tell me <laughs> That's about it. Something to really look forward to. But uh, obviously, I, we we spoke in the last segment with Mark Feinstein about some of the really interesting acquisitions that uh, we're getting to watch on a nightly basis right now and you know see guys like Anthony Rizzo and Joey Gallo and and obviously of course Andrew haney and Ueli Rodriguez and guys like that I mean it's it's always interesting and fun when you get new guys coming in and that's a another story that we actually have in our August issue, which is about a different way that the Yankees have added some players in years past, and that's the draft. And obviously, the MLB draft is never going to be the NFL draft or the NBA draft. I'm talking about things where you're watching the guys that you're going to see starring at at the highest level next year. The MLB draft, you pick a guy and you hope four years from then or something, something like that, that he's in the majors, let alone a star in the majors. But it was super fun for me to get to go look through all of the drafts that the Yankees have had since 1965 and just pick out some really fun things. And, and of course, the centerpiece of the story that we did was the first time and one of only two times that the Yankees have had the top overall pick, and that was 1967 when they picked Ron Bloomberg.
3: Well, as I told you, it's a masterpiece. Um, (laughs) it's It's the most comprehensive look at the Yankees draft ever written anywhere I think. It's a it's a real comprehensive piece. As you know, I fact-checked it. It took me a little while because <laughs> there's a lot of information in there, but I thoroughly enjoyed it and I think our readers certainly will enjoy the piece, you know, with Ron Bloomberg and I'm a little biased there. He's a good friend and and, and you did a great Q&A with him, but what I really loved so much was just the the creativity that you, you know, kind of put forth where you came up with all these different angles and all these things that have happened through history that are so obscure and so different and, and yet ended up really being meaningful in terms of like the, you know, basically the narrative of, of Yankees history. And so much of that, you know, was cultivated through the draft. So it was, you know, is an exhaustive piece with a lot of moving parts, but, you know, really well done and fun to read. And my question is, you know, how did you, how did you come up with choosing these different the subjects of these different sidebars. I have to give all the credit here to Baseball Reference, which it allowed me
1: to really just go through the history of the draft and find weird coincidences that I could play with. Obviously, look, it's easy to look at a list of the top overall picks. It's easy to look At a list of the Yankees 2021 draft picks. You know, that stuff's readily available. And of course, we published both of those in in this issue. But it's when you're able to look at like random, totally odd things, like just going pick by pick and noticing that one of the most successful number picks that the Yankees have ever had is 493, at which they got Don Mattingly and Bob Tewksbury. I mean, that's an absurd thing that I never would have looked like. I never would have known, and never would have realized, but playing around and just kind of using the incredible tools on Baseball Reference to search in all different ways, it's just sorting different things and looking at different things. We found just a bunch of weird things like that that stuck out. And, and I mean, some of this stuff, it always comes back to, especially with the draft, there are people who know everything about the draft and there are people who don't know much about the draft. I probably should have known that Andy Pettit and Jorge Posada were drafted in the same year, two rounds apart in the 22nd and 24th round. I probably should have known that, mm-hmm. but I didn't. <laughs> What's more interesting to me is that I also didn't know that that same draft, I think it had Ricky Lede, I think it had Shane Spencer, and also just randomly in the international market, the Yankees also signed Mariana Rivera that year. And if you look at the history of the Major League draft, if you get a player like that whether it's the first round or the 24th, if you get one player like that added to your system, even if it's Ricky Lede. Ricky Lede, he's not a Hall of Famer. He's not anything, but he played a part on three World Series Mm -hmm. teams. If you get a player like that in the draft, that scout did a good job that year. That front office, they tipped their cap. When you're in the 22nd and 24th rounds getting Andy Pettit and Jorge Posada, maybe it's luck, maybe it's randomness, but it changes the course of a franchise.
3: Yeah, it really does. And I think that's what's so special and unique about you know, the Major League Baseball draft as opposed to football or basketball where, you know, A, there are quite a few rounds, especially in 1996 when, you know, you did that sidebar on the fact that there were 100 rounds, which is just unfathomable to me and hard to wrap my head around. But you're right. In baseball, you get one good player in a draft. Um, that's a great draft. What also really... You know, sticks out to me about that 1990 draft. And, and you know, I, I was knowledgeable a little bit more than than you, I guess, in that draft, just from from, you know, doing other stuff that they picked, you know, the Yankees picked uh, Pettit and Posada super, super late and, you know, literally struck gold two times such late rounds. But, you know, what's fascinating to me is when you, when you go back and you look at players that are stars in, in Major League Baseball, so many of them did come late. So many of them didn't come from you know, super high-profile colleges or anything like that. You know, some of the best players came out of high school. Some of the best players came out of junior colleges. And, you know, with Pettit and Posada, you know, that was no different. Um, you know, the, the word diamond in the rough, we you know, we always look at that phrase as something that's rare. Well, I think, in you know, in the draft, in Major League Baseball draft, diamond in the rough is not an uncommon thing. It's more of a common thing than anything. What also is really fascinating to me as well is when you look through the Yankees draft history, and you see a draft like that, or you see drafts in the early 80s, and you you see these super, super high-profile players drafted in early rounds who never played for the Yankees, but then on the back end, you have guys like Pettit and Posada who were drafted by the Yankees are, you know, maybe not Hall of Famers, but legends in their own right and were the cornerstones of, you know, five World Championship teams. But what I'm alluding to there is, you know, the Yankees' first round pick in 1990 was Carl Everett. Tremendous career. I think 14 years, you know, did a lot of great things. Never played for the Yankees. It was almost an afterthought. I was reminded when I, you know, when I looked through, you know, doing research to, to fact check this piece that, you know, in the early 80s, the Yankees drafted Bo Jackson. You know, the Yankees of course drafted John Elway of Hall Hall of Famer in football, and Bo Jackson probably would have been a Hall of Famer in football had he not had the hip injury, but in his own right, a really great baseball player. It's fun to literally just peruse the list, as you obviously spent hours and hours doing and finding all these crazy, crazy names that either came to the Yankees late or came to the Yankees early and never played for the Yankees. So much fun. I I just loved it. And look,
1: I think it has to be said, and this is obviously, I hope it's clear, this is not a knock on Brian Cashman or the front office or anything, but if you look at You know, let's go back to 2008. The Yankees drafted Garrett Cole in the first round. They didn't sign him. But obviously, Garrett Cole is now a Yankee. He's very good. That was clearly a very good pick. Go down the list from that point on. Aaron Judge is there a couple years later. Clark Schmidt is there a couple years later. That's it. Those those are the only players that are part of the 2021 Yankees 40-man roster right now. Now, look. If you go to more recent years, is there incredible amounts of hope for Anthony Volpe? Absolutely. That guy looks like a stud. Austin Wells, progressing up the line already. You know, there's reason to think that that's an amazing pick, too. Trey Sweeney, people are excited about it. They think that was a really good value this year at number 20. But what it shows you is it's just so hard and it's such a crapshoot because you are looking at these guys. And instead of saying, you are going to be my star point guard next year, and you are going to change the face of my franchise, you're saying, let's see what happens a couple of years down the road. And you could see why it's just so much pressure and so crazy and why it's literally years and years that lead up to drafting these guys and knowing everything about these guys. And if you talk to the guys in Cashman's office who, you know, cross check and follow these guys or discover these guys, it's, it's amazing when you get one. but. All the guys you didn't get because someone picked them right in front of you or someone picked them, you know, or, or they got hurt right before or anything like that, you know. The 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 data that they have on these guys, the information they have on these guys, that the work they do for these guys, and then you just kinda hope.
3: I think there's there's a lot of hope involved because unlike football or in some cases basketball, you know, you're taking the best players out of high school. So really who have they really faced in terms of if they're a batter how many great pitchers have they faced not a lot very average high school players is who they're batting against so yes they might bat 400 or 500 i think Derek jeter was in 400 and something is his senior year but who are they really playing against it's a crapshoot whereas in football they've played for four years for like Alabama or Auburn or Notre Dame and they've played, you know, great great college players, so it's a little less of a crapshoot. But, you know, it's it certainly is. A couple of things that that stood out to me and, and obviously I have a couple other questions for you, but you know, one of one of the things that stood out to me that that just like I you talk about not knowing about the history of that 1990 draft, something I didn't realize was like the Aaron Judge pick, I think it was like 30th overall or something like that, came as a a compensation pick for the Yankees losing free agent Nick Swisher. Like what a great piece of Yankee's trivia. You know, a, a guy who was part of the 2009 World Series championship team leaves as a free agent. And you know when when you know teams get these like compensation picks, it's almost like an afterthought. You don't really, you know, pay much mind to it or or care about it, but you know, who do the Yankees take with that pick? Aaron Judge. It's kind of crazy when you think about it.
1: Absolutely. And that's part of what makes it fun and interesting and crazy like you said and it was really fun for me because the genesis of this piece really was a QA and a that I was able to get as I mentioned with Ron Bloomberg and I was talking to him about 1967 and being the top pick and obviously it was a totally different situation than I mean you know, he told me that he was walking across the stage at his high school graduation get his diploma when I guess the principal or whoever stopped him and said and we should know, note that The New York Yankees have just selected Rob Bloomberg with the top overall pick in the draft, and he knew it was gonna happen, but it wasn't like you could turn on a twenty-four hour sports network or go onto the internet that didn't exist and hear all of the expectations of who might be going first, second, third, whatever. I mean, it just was you didn't know. And you look at it now, and I think MLB's done an incredible job of using the resources that they have. This goes back to when the MLB network first started, and they decided to make the draft instead of being a conference call to really turn it into a televised event. And this year, I think they made the great choice of saying, why don't we make this part of All-Star Week? And the thing is, that's probably not going to change the nature of the sport in the sense that that doesn't mean that because it's a bigger deal, all of a sudden, players are going to go straight from the draft to the major leagues. I mean, it's it's the development pipeline still has to exist, but I do think it helps to force you to pay attention to some of these guys before they reach there, and I think that... One thing that there is an after effect of that, in a sense, is that as players know more about prospects and as it becomes readily available, you start understanding things like the trade deadline a little bit more. You start understanding things like free agency a little bit more. You mentioned Nick Swisher kind of turning into Aaron Judge. When, when you start hearing about draft compensation and things like that, You know that's what can happen, whether you make the qualifying offer or you don't, whether you sign the free agent or you don't and all these things. Because sometimes Nick Swisher signing with another, another team can turn to Aaron Judge. So there's so much complexity there. There's so much intrigue there. And I, I think that as a baseball fan, it's fun. Again, I'm not looking for baseball to turn into the NFL where the offseason can become more dramatic than the season in some ways. And free agency becomes bigger than some of the games. And, and the draft becomes the biggest day on the calendar. But I do think there's value to paying attention to what happens in the draft and seeing the way that these teams are built.
3: I agree. And and I think the way that it's set up and, and it's, you know, set up where, like we talked about, players aren't going to blossom, let's say, for several years after the draft. I think that's a good thing in the sense that it does kind of keep a good balance of fans attention. More on the games that are being played in the postseason. You know, it's hard sometimes to, you know, drive to work in the morning and have sports talk radio on when, you know, for like two months, all they're talking about is the NFL draft. You know, I, I want to hear about football games. You know, I want to hear about football you know, a draft and, and the same with NBA free agency, especially a couple of years ago, it seems you, to you,
1: you mean the three minute process that is NBA free agency.
3: Yeah, the three minute process that is always talked about for three months. Well, while, while games are going on leading into the, you know, into the offseason, it's all you hear about. I, I like to watch basketball. I don't need to to hear about who's going to be on the teams more than who's or worse playing.
1: Salary caps and how this contract uh, is tradable or not tradable, and what the actual value is of this,
3: and it's, it's all encompassing. It's it's all you hear. You know, there's a great balance in baseball. You know, we we get excited about players, we get excited about the draft for a short time, but we don't lose focus on what you know what we all love about the sport, which is the sport. <laughs> you know, and and I think that's great. But I at the same time. You know, love delving into the all the unique stories, even the Brian Taylor story, which is a a weird, not great piece of Yankees history, but a piece nonetheless, you know, love delving into that.
1: And the thing is, it's not about this story is not about the Yankees major league roster right now. and, And that's fine. What it is about, though, is about the Yankees minor league roster in a lot of ways. And it's about building associations and building relationships with some of the guys that you can go watch if you go to a minor league game, wherever it is, and you could see how this stuff develops, you could see how it happens. And I think it has to be said, because I, I, look, we're competitors here, and the goal is not just to win the World Series, but, but all these things. But getting drafted and getting to play minor league baseball is a remarkable thing. Every one of those guys is a story, and every one of those guys did something remarkable to get to this point. And some of them are going to get injured, and some of them, they're just going to see that their talent peters out a little bit. And some of them are maybe not going to have the dedication or the determination, or there's going to be something, whatever it is. They might not make it to the major leagues, but there's so much joy in being able to go to a minor league game and seeing these guys living out their dreams because of you know what, what the future can portend for them. And that's also one of the fun things about paying attention to the, all those names on the list that the Yankees took this year. Those are all guys who are getting to continue their dream in one way or another, and it's pretty fascinating.
3: You know, I completely agree with you. And I and I think back on conversations I've had, I know a couple of people whose, you know, whose sons have, you know, had great high school careers and then gotten drafted low, you know, low in the draft, but got to say that they played professional baseball, not for an independent team, not that that's not a, an accomplishment in and of itself. But you think about it. Yeah, you're not at the highest level, which is, of course, the majors, but you're literally playing for whatever it is, the New York Yankees organization, any other organization. And, you know, you're right. That's an amazing accomplishment. That goes beyond high school. That goes beyond college. That goes beyond playing internationally. That's pretty... You know, pretty impressive. And it is a dream. Doesn't always work out. Like you said, injuries, it, it just kind of shows you how great the talent pool is at the major league level or even triple A, because that's such a huge jump from, you know, from single A or double A even. But, um, you know, it's, it's a remarkable thing to think about. And you did a great job with this story and, and all the different layers of it.
1: Well, I appreciate that. The story, as we said, is special selections. It is in the August issue of Yankees Magazine, which is now on sale. And Al, uh, thanks so much, and uh, look forward to speaking to you in two weeks. Same here. Thank you. Yeah, and of course, thanks to Mark Feinstein for earlier, and to all of you, thanks for listening to another episode of the Yankees Magazine Podcast. If you haven't already, please make sure you subscribe to this by going to yankees.com slash podcast or to the podcast app of your choice. You can also go to 800- Go Yanks or Yankees.com slash publications where you can buy back issues, buy new subscriptions, all, all kinds of fun stuff like that. I really recommend it. Please follow us on Twitter at Yanks Magazine, where you can see everything that we're up to and read our long-form content at Yankees.com slash magazine. That's it. See you next time and Go Yanks!
3: Hey, this is Giancarlo Stan. If you like what you're hearing, why don't you rate and review us? And while you're at it, tell your friends to subscribe. Thanks so much and Go Yankees!
1: The MLB Ballpark app will complete your next visit to Yankee Stadium. Buy and manage game tickets, redeem special check-in offers, access exclusive content, and much more. Download the MLB Ballpark app today.
0: Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best